This has been a month of Thanksgiving. It always is in November. We think about Thanksgiving time, and I want to thank you, all of you, uh, for the prayers you offered up on behalf of our family. Uh, last of October, the first of November, was not an easy time and went through a, a period when we were uh, very concerned about the health of her daughter, uh, but we could feel your prayers being prayed on her behalf, and uh, God has been God has been great, uh, gracious, and has brought about complete healing, and for that we are thankful, and thank you for, for the prayers that you gave. This past summer, Hal Langham asked me to do him a favor. He's got a, he and the other brothers have a lake out here north of town stocked with some great fish in it, and he said, I, I need you to, if you would do this, go to Buckeyes and get five gallons of a pond dye, blue pond dye. I'd never heard of this stuff before, and he said, and take it in your kayak and just row around the edge and just dump this in the pond. I said, yeah, I'd be glad to do that, Hal, because I get to fish out there. Well, he called me a couple days later. And he said, look, I, I went and got six gallons. Four are already in there, but I need you to take the last two and go along the west edge where I can't get to it very well and just dump that in there. Oh, yeah, great. So I took the kayak, my fishing gear, went out, got the two gallons out of a, a boat that was sitting there and went to the west side and, and took the cap off and started to dump it in the water. And it wasn't working very well. I was close to the water and it was just slopping every place. It got on the kayak, got on me, my hands, everywhere. This, this isn't working. I thought, well, I'll just go up to the bank, and I paddled up to the shore and got out of the kayak and took that gallon jug, those two jugs with me, and started to walk along the weeds and just chunking it in the water like this. He wouldn't know any different anyway, so just throwing it in the water. But all along the edge of the bank of the lake were these weeds are growing about this high, and on one side, they were just really nice and smooth, and the other side had teeth in them, and they were just eating the, my legs to bits. I was walking through there and getting scratched. I didn't really pay much attention to it at the time, but I had blue dye on my hands, on my legs. Uh, I had cuts all over the place. Yeah, kind of like that. And, and I thought, this is, this, is, this is awful. What am I going to do with this? So the next morning I went to the office, and it was a hot day, and I was wearing short pants, and I walked in. Belinda took one look at my legs and said, what happened to you? Did you get in a fight with a Smurf cat and lose? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Well, I had a wedding later that weekend, so I've got all this stuff on my hands. I said, Deb, I need to get this off my hands. And she said, well, come here. And she got some hand lotion, began to rub it in so it would loosen it up. Then she got some sandpaper and began to scratch it right off. And it worked really, really well. All my hands are nice and clean now. Stains. We get, we get stains on us. We get stains on our knees when we're on the ground in the grass. We get oil stains on a white shirt. You get stains on the, on the white carpet from red wine, whatever it is. Stains happen, and so we set about to get them out, and we'll get a pre-treat, and we'll soak them, and we'll scrub them, and put them in the washing machine, and hope through all that that they'll come out of the washing machine, and they'll look, they'll look nice. Well, a lot of us have stains that we try to remove from garments or from whatever it is, but every one of us in this room have the stain of sin and have the stain of guilt that we have to deal with. All of us are there. When we, when we choose to break God's law, when we sin, our innocence is gone and we have become stained. The Apostle Paul said, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of, fall short of God's glorious standard. And because we know that, many of us work to see if we can't get rid of that stain. We'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll work really hard doing good deeds, so hopefully we can make this balance between God's perfection and our failures. But no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, no matter all the good things that we do, we still can't get rid of the stain. We can't get rid of the sin. We can't get rid of the guilt that comes with it. And all of us are cursed in that, in that situation. That's, that's where we are. That's where we happen to be. Jeremiah chapter 2.22 says, No amount of soap or lie can make you clean. I, God, still see the stain of your sin. Yet even at that, 
Old Testament King David knew that he had no power. He was not able to get rid of the sin in his life. He couldn't get rid of that stain. As a matter of fact, he wrote and said, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. I mean, we've gone through a great series in November with Tyson speaking about the need to be, to be thankful, to have gratitude about many of the things that we practice and believe in. He said that, that we are grateful for the resurrection, the cornerstone, the keystone of our Christian faith, and we're, we're thankful for that. He talked about the fact that, that we need to be grateful for grace. None of us deserve it. Just as, as Mike said a moment ago, there's no one here that deserves it. Yet God, in copious amounts, pours it out upon us. He said uh, the next week, Tyson preached the fact that we should be grateful for unity. We're not united by, by race. We're not united by politics. Those things don't unite us. It's the perfect rule of God. It's the perfect law of God. It's the perfect person, Jesus Christ, that unites us. The church, we're united on those grounds. And then last week, he said that we need to be grateful for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. Everyone who believes and has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, the Holy Spirit lives with him. And it's a gift of God. So this morning, I want to finish up this series talking about being thankful for baptism. Kind of strange, isn't it, to say, yeah, we're thankful for baptism. I mean, why in the world would we be thankful for baptism? Through baptism, through immersion into Jesus Christ, we, we unite ourselves in a death, burial, and resurrection. We receive the cleansing of our sin, the removal of our stain and our guilt. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 6, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we now also may live new lives, since we have been united. And look at this word since. In the, in the Greek language, this word could be translated if or because. Because we have been united, if we have been united, since we have been united with him in his death by baptism, we will also be raised to life as he was. This is a conditional phrase. If this happens, then this is the result. Immersion is that beautiful moment in our lives when we physically express our faith to God's promise to raise us to a new life. But still, people are thinking, yeah, okay, I see that, but why do you, why do you dunk people? Why do you baptize them? Why do you say that before you can become a member of the church, we, we ask that you be baptized into Jesus Christ? Why, why do you do that? Well, a thousand years ago, during the Dark Ages, church leaders then said that if you were baptized, that automatically made you a Christian. Just like being circumcised automatically made you a Jew, being baptized automatically made you a Christian. Well, 500 years later, or 500 years after that, the reformers said, no, that's, that's not really right. That, that's not how it goes. Uh, being a Christian is a, is a personal choice of putting your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ. It's not a decision that your parents can make for you. You can be baptized until you're waterlogged, but if you don't believe, you just simply come up a wet sinner. Well, the reformers took that, but then they went too far the other, the other direction, and they said that uh, baptism is irrelevant to salvation. It's just an act of obedience. We do it because the Bible says so. We don't know why. We don't know its relevancy, but we do it because the Bible says so. Well, if baptism is just an act of obedience, for that reason alone, we should do it. But God always has a purpose. God always has a reason for his commandments, the things that he wants us to do. Uh, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I mean, God told Noah to build an ark. 
It's to build an ark, not just to show that you're being obedient, but also to save you from the flood. God told the Israelites to abstain from eating meat and to not intermarry with other nations. And he said, do this because it is an act of obedience, but also because it leads to a healthy life. In his book called The Psychology of Baptism, Doug Dickey said, God meets our deepest emotional and psychological needs in baptism. Listen to that again. God meets our emotional, our deepest emotional and psychological needs at baptism. How does he do that? How does that happen? Why does God need us to be immersed? How does it meet our needs? And if you've not been baptized, if you've not been immersed into Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you today, why not? What's holding you back? What is there in your thinking that has kept you from making that step forward and saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ and I want to unite with him in Christian baptism? I'm grateful for baptism and for a number of reasons. And the first one is this. I'm grateful because it meets our need for an expression of our faith. Now, God has created us in a certain way that every emotion that we have is an appropriate outlet or, <laughs> or needs to be an appropriate outlet. When we're sad, we're cry, we cry. When we're afraid, we scream. When, when we're, when we're uh, happy and, and we're, uh, something is making us happy, we laugh. When we're loving someone, we, we give them a hug. You know, when we're grateful, we give. Jesus expressed his emotions when he cleared the temple, and it was, a, it was a good, it was an appropriate expression of anger. He came into the temple area, and he saw the men that were uh, selling animals and changing money and, and charging exorbitant rates to do so. And so in righteous indignation and anger, he chased them out of the temple, and it was an appropriate response to what was going on in the temple. It was a good thing. It was the right thing for him to do. Trying to suppress our emotions is like trying to, to suppress a, a sneeze. You ever tried to do that? The sneeze is coming, you try to make it stop. If you don't, man, you blow your adenoids right out of your face. That's what's going to happen. you got to sneeze. you got to do that. When it comes, let it do that. Ever tried to hold back laughter when somebody's praying and somebody's told you a joke right before the person starts to, to pray and you start to laugh? It's really hard to hold that in, isn't it? It's, it's hard to do. An impression needs an expression. And it's a stifling thing if we're not able to express how we feel about what's going on. In, in 2001... Uh, September the 11th, the World Trade Centers were attacked. The buildings fell. And, and we all felt something. We felt indignation. We felt anger. We felt shock. We felt fear. We felt all kinds of things. And we wanted to express how we were feeling. So we flew the American flag and we started to go back to church and, and we sang uh, God Bless America and we put bumper stickers on our car. It was, that was an appropriate thing to do. We needed to express out loud how we felt inside. And that event led us to do that. When Jesus healed, when Jesus healed people, he gave them something to do. There was an outlet of an expression for what they were going to do. He told one, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. He told another to extend that withered hand. To another man, he said, go show yourself to the priest and you will be healed. Jesus could have healed these men immediately without them showing any faith at all in what was going on. But he asked for a response of faith for their benefit. For their benefit. What do you do when you're so impressed with Jesus Christ? The fact that he died on the cross for your sin. And you really believe that he can cleanse you of that sin and make you whole. What do you do about that? Well, baptism is one way. It gives us a way to express our faith to him. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, Peter's standing before a crowd who had just one month earlier crucified Jesus. And he goes through a, a historical lesson. He's teaching them some Jewish history. 
And in Acts 2.22, he said, people of Israel, at the end of this history lesson, he says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. And then in verse 32, he said, God raised Jesus from the dead. We're all witnesses of this. Now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. But then Peter went on to say, but you falsely accused him. You nailed him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, and you can't find his body. And we watched him ascend into heaven. And one day Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And in verse 37, at the conclusion of that explanation, Peter said, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. It was like a knife being driven in, a sword going in. It pierced their heart. It cut to the quick. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What's the appropriate response? What do we do because of what you said that has convicted us? And now we acknowledge that Jesus is who you said he is. So what should we do? And Peter said, well, there's nothing you can do. Salvation comes from God. You just have to wait for him to call you. And and then you raise your hand and bow your head and ask Jesus into your heart. He didn't say that. That's not what he said at all. He said, each one of you must repent, turn from your sins. Turn to God, be baptized, be immersed into the water in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, the word for, eis, E-I-S in the language of Greek, is a word that means because of. Be baptized so that your sins may be forgiven. God ordained baptism as an act that meets our need for a meaningful expression of our faith. I have never baptized anyone, I'm sure Tyson hasn't either, who has said, is that all I have to do to accept Jesus? But I have baptized a person who said, I'm so grateful, I wish I had done this sooner. Thanks for encouraging me to do that. On a cold February morning in Murfreesboro, Illinois, in my first ministry, an 80-year-old man walked into my office. He said, I was born and raised Catholic. I've been attending church worship services with my wife uh, for years. And since you've been here, I've heard you preach on baptism and other things. He said, I need to be immersed into Jesus. And uh, he said, I'm grateful that I've had a, a family history who have believed in Christ and they've taken me to church. But this is a decision I need to make for myself. I need to publicly declare that Jesus is my Lord and be baptized into Christ And so that morning, on that cold February morning, in cold water in the baptistry, he was. He was baptized into Jesus. I didn't have to debate with him. I didn't have to go through the Greek with him. For him, it was a natural expression, an outward expression of his faith. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for baptism because it meets our need for a cleansing from our sin. Man, when we sin, we feel dirty, don't we? we? We have a guilty conscience because of what we've done. Jesus said when you slander and when you lie and when you commit adultery and there's sexual immorality, when, when you murder and when you steal, it makes you unclean. James says we are polluted by the world. We need to get rid of the immoral filth that surrounds us and that's a part of us. When we do wrong, we feel dirty, if not, if not perhaps maybe even having a, a conscience that's been seared to the point where we'll do it again without it really affecting us. We long for a pure heart. We want to have that conscience cleaned. Have you ever seen anything that made you feel dirty? 
Maybe you've watched a movie uh, on TV or, or someplace else, and you're watching the scenes go by, and all of a sudden there's something that's, that's extremely immoral and very questionable, and all of a sudden you're watching this, and wow, I don't know if I should be, I don't know if I should be looking at this. I think I need to take a shower. I need to take a bath. I, I, I feel dirty. We felt so soiled by sin that we want to wash away that filth. David knew that when he said, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. After Pontius Pilate condemned Jesus to death, he ceremonially washed his hands in front of people as a sign that his guilt, his conscience was clean. The Hindus in India will dip in the Ganges River as a sign their sins have been washed. Almost every religion in the world has some type of washing from sin, some purification rite that they go through. Still, you can't purify yourselves. You can't take away your own sin. You can't clean, clear the slate, your own conscience. You can't do that. Only the blood of Jesus can wipe us from ours, can wipe the sins from us. Only he can do that. In uh, Hebrews chapter 9, the writer says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We sing that old hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole? What can make me pure? What can make me clean? What can make me acceptable? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what happens. There's nothing you can do to erase your past. You can't pay for your own sin, but you can believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for your sins. And when it comes to Jesus, that's where I put my trust. Baptism becomes that, that wonderful, refreshing symbol of that inner cleansing, that new life. In 1 Peter 3, Peter writes, and, and, and remember, taking this in context, as we read this, 1 Peter has just talked about, Peter's just talked about Noah getting into the ark uh, with his family, and, and uh, the, the ark saved them through the flood waters. But Peter goes on to make this connection. He says, and that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. It's not taking dirt off of your body. It's not washing your hands and feet, but it's a response to God for a clear conscience. It's effective because Jesus has been raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes this happen, makes it true. It's not, it's not the water in the baptistry that saves you, but it's an inward cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the reason that God prescribes this. That's the reason that God says, be immersed from head to toe, total cleansing. It's a wonderful sense of cleansing, renewal, and ability to, to do over again. Ananias told Saul of Tarsus, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. You see, baptism meets our needs because we can express our faith through it, and it also gives us this sense of cleansing from God. I'm also grateful for baptism because it meets our need for a benchmark, a benchmark of commitment. You know what a benchmark is? It's a significant event in time. So when something happens that we remember. I believe that life begins at conception, but we start living when we're born, and we celebrate that with birthdays. Those are benchmark dates. When a person graduates, he, uh, he puts on the mortarboard and, and has the diploma in his hand, and it represents his study and his work and his time and his investment, the cost, all of this, and he walks across the stage, and that's a benchmark moment for him or her. And when two people stand before a minister and they are married in the sight of God, that's a benchmark moment, not when they fell in love, not when they made the commitment, but when they said to the world, we are, we are giving our lives to each other, we're going to spend our lives together. That's what that is. We have these benchmark moments in our life. And guys, you better remember what that date is, because if you don't, you're in trouble. Baptism serves as that benchmark 
for us as believers. In Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase called The Message, he writes Romans 6 this way. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is king, where it's sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind, but when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. Baptism is a significant benchmark. It's a transition from the old to the new. It's a, uh, Tyson has talked about this morning. For if we, are, we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Kevin was a young man who struggled with sin up to the point of his baptism. It, it was hard for him. Life was hard for him. And he said, I need this. I need this benchmark. I need this, this moment in my life. I need to make a new start. There was a significant event in his life with Jesus. Now remember, Jesus is the source of our salvation. Not the water, not baptism. It's not like dipping in the Ganges River for Hindus. But I want you to see what it is coupled with. In Ephesians 2, Paul said, we're saved by grace through faith. In Acts 3, Peter said, repent and turn to God so that, because, there is that word so again, so that your sins might be wiped out. In Romans 10, Paul said that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And Mark said in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. It's a, it's a synchristic meeting together of all these truths, belief, confession, repentance, baptism. That They all work together to achieve one common goal, and that is the taking away of our sins and the preparing us for heaven. And this is, uh, I, I'm not saying that, that a person who's on their deathbed, their deathbed and who's never been baptized can't be saved. God is greater than our circumstances. God's greater in those situations. But if I put my trust in him, if I repent of my sins, if I publicly confess him and I'm baptized into Christ, the word tells me that I'm being prepared for heaven. And I trust in that. I believe that that's true. And this is so important if, if, if you have not had a dramatic conversion experience as well. The question sometimes comes up, when did Jesus become real in your life? Well, people have had a dramatic conversion experience can point to that day and time and moment when they said, that's when I knew Jesus. And when I was baptized, baptized into him, I remember that day. It's not that easy for me. Knowing when Jesus was real in my life is like asking me, when did your parents become real in your life? Well, my parents were, were always there. And it's not like I knew a time as a child when they weren't there. And in our home, Jesus was always there. Uh, our parents made sure that, uh, that we went to church and we were involved in youth group. I'm glad to have my brother and sister-in-law here this morning, Tim and Elaine. And, uh, and, and he knows, with, although he was worse than I was, uh, there was uh, you know, all these times that we, we saw that Jesus was a part of our life. But I remember that time when I was 12 years old, when I walked down the aisle of Bethany Christian Church and I confessed Jesus as my Lord. And I went into First Christian Church in Washington because Bethany didn't have a baptistry at the time. And Ben Bean, our minister, baptized me under Christ on that Sunday evening. And I felt that sense of renewal. For me, that was a benchmark moment. That's a date and a time and a place I will remember. But when that happens to you as well, it's not just a benchmark for you. It's a benchmark for everyone else as well. Because you're saying, I am now a follower of Christ and I need you to hold me accountable to what I've confessed to. That's the reason for public baptism. It's a declaration to others that we serve a new Lord, a new God, and we need your help to live it out. 
I'm grateful for baptism, last of all, because it, it meets our needs through a through humbling of our spirits. What's the biggest barrier between you and God? Is it lust? Is it greed? Is it uh, doubt? No, I think it's pride. Pride is the biggest barrier that we have. The Bible says the Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. You see, intellectual pride wants us to discover truth on our own. It takes humility to say that I can't discover true truth on my own. I need the Bible. I need God to help me understand what real truth is. Social pride says we associate only with people of high standing. But humility says I want to be like Jesus, which means I will spend my time with those who have little, with those who are the common folk, with those who are sinners. I'll spend my time with those folks. Selfish pride says I want to earn my own salvation, just like a child. I can do it myself. But humility says, I can't do it myself. I need someone, I need something else to intervene and take my sin from me. The Bible says, haughtiness goes before destruction and humility precedes honor. When my grandson Titus was 10 years old, we were visiting in their home. And I said, Titus, it's time to pick up your stuff, put it away, come on in, we're going to sit down and, and, and have supper. And first of all, he ignored me. Then he gave me excuses, and then he just said, no. I didn't like that. I was kind of, kind of frustrated at my grandson. I didn't like that rebellious attitude, and I didn't like getting irritated, and I raised my voice at him. And, and, and I don't like being that way because it's simply a part of our innate nature. It's who we are. We're all like this. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want anybody telling us what we need to do. It's innate. It's been passed down from generation to generation. I love my grandson. I love him even when, he's, even when he's rebellious. But when do you think that I feel the closest to him? When he's rebelling or when he has a humble spirit? And, and you know the answer to that. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and, the right, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. We read that and go, yeah, the, I understand that. I understand the humility part, but you know, come on. Uh, being baptized, there's so many questions we ask. Do I have to be baptized? I mean, do I have to get all wet or can I just get partly wet? Does the Holy Spirit come before I'm baptized or after I'm baptized or in the middle of that? If you know the name Francis Chan, you know him as a Christian author and preacher and a great one at that. And he was asked these questions by the members of his congregation, and this is the answer that he gave. Well, what's crazy to me is that we have gotten so off track. In America, when we talk about the Bible, that nowadays people say you can be a Christian without repenting, be baptized, or have the Holy Spirit. When I preach on Acts 2.38, uh, where the passage says, repent and be baptized, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've had all sorts of emails and phone calls and letters asking, okay, well, it sounded like you were saying I have to repent and then be baptized and then receive the Holy Spirit. And then other people are asking, well, can I be a Christian without being baptized? Others are saying, can I be a Christian without repenting? Can I be a Christian without the Holy Spirit? And when does the Holy Spirit actually come in? If I just repent and do I get the Holy Spirit right then without being baptized? And all these questions came in and I I want to answer them all with a question back at you. Why do you ask? 
year that he was buried and he rose from the grave, they asked a different question. They asked, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Peter's response was, we need to repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? They didn't ask any questions after that. What they did was they repented, got baptized, and were filled with the Holy Spirit. You guys, they just did it. I don't understand the questions. I don't understand where the questions are coming from. Because my seven-year-old, my seven-year-old was in service, and she understood. My seven-year-old was in service that Saturday night, comes home, crying, and says, Dad, I want to be baptized. I want the Holy Spirit in me. I want to follow Jesus. And uh, I have a great baby. That's great. So, you know what I need to do? Come back tomorrow morning and get baptized. And so she did. And she's up here crying and, and asking Jesus, you know, asking for the Holy Spirit to come in her life down the live the way she must have been about it. She didn't come home and say, okay, Dad, explain this to me. It's crazy, but she just obeys. <laughs> You see, the first thing that we do when we come to Jesus is to, to humble ourselves, is to listen to him. I'm a sinner. I'm inadequate. I need Jesus Christ for the hope in my life. One of the primary reasons that God has commanded baptism is because it is a pride eliminator. There is no pride. There's no pride that we can exhibit when we're immersed into Jesus. Mike Bro, preacher who used to be over in Lexington, Kentucky, said, you know the greatest thing about baptism? It's the great equalizer. Whether you've got a $50 haircut or a $10 haircut, when you come out of the water, you're all going to look the same. Diane came forward at the conclusion of a service in a church in Texas. I'd, I talked with her during the week, and she said, uh, I, I believed in Jesus for years, but I'd never been baptized into him, never been immersed. I said, that's great. Let's plan on doing that Sunday. So she came up. She came up Sunday morning, and she was dressed to the nines. I mean, she, she was sartorially put together. Uh, she had her hair all well done, and she had her eye makeup on, and, and man, she put on the robe and the gown, and we led her up the steps of the baptistry, and it was a big unit out front because we didn't have one built into the wall yet. And she sat down, and I said what I said, and I laid her down in the water, and she came back up. And all that beautiful hair was now down on her shoulders, and the eye makeup was running down the side of her face, and she looked like a drowned rat. But you could not, you could not buy the expression on her face. There was such a, a look of hope and a look of joy. Baptism is a humbling act, but it is not a humiliating one. It's a beautiful picture that we've died to sin, that we've been raised to a new life in Jesus Christ. On July the 9th, 2005, and that week before, I had gone up to my brother-in-law's in Heron, Illinois, and bought his old uh, uh, hot tub. Brought it back and put it on our, our deck out back behind the house. It was July. I filled it with water, but it didn't turn the heater on. I didn't want hot water out there in the middle of July. So I got done mowing the yard that day and I said, man, this would really be nice just to set in this water. So I, I took off the T-shirt and just had my short pants on, sat there in that nice, cool water. It was really relaxing. Deanne came over and said that she wanted to get in the hot tub with Dad. So Deb changed her clothes, and Deanne came in, and she sat down with me in the hot tub. Then she kind of she sidled over to me, and she said, Dad, you baptize me. It baptized me. And I thought, man, I'm not sure, I'm sure, not sure what to do with this. I don't know what she knows, what, what she understands, what's going on. And she had never wanted this before. And she would even say, don't baptize me. Don't baptize me. I, was, I don't know if she was afraid the bubbles would stop coming up and she wouldn't come up or what was going to happen, but she didn't want that. So when she asked me, I was really caught off guard. And I, I said, okay, Deanne, uh, who's in heaven? 
and God's in heaven. She said, who else is in heaven? Jesus is in heaven. Who else is in heaven? Grandpa Kinsey's in heaven. Who else is in heaven? Grandpa Arms is in heaven. Where do you want to go when you die, Deanne? I want to go to heaven. I pray, dear God, I do not know what she knows. You're going to have to fill in the gaps and the voids of my understanding, but you know her heart. And so I brought her up on my, on my knees in the hot tub, and I said, Deanne Arms, because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're now being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I leaned her down in the water and brought her back up, and the look on her face was priceless. Now, the next evening was Sunday night at church, and we had a small group that would gather together for Bible study, and most of them sit in the back like all of you do. And uh, uh, I, was, I was teaching them in the back part of the building, and we were asking for praises. Deb and Deanne were there, and, and people were sharing what was going on in their life they wanted to praise God for. And I, I saw Deanne elbowing Debbie, saying, tell them I baptized. Tell them I baptized. Now, I, I'm embarrassing her probably even mentioning this, but she never wants attention to be paid to her. She never wants to be the center of attention. Yet at that moment, there was a benchmark event in her life. There was something so special, so precious about that event that she wanted other people to know this. And she said, tell them, tell them, I was baptized into Jesus. A benchmark moment. It gave her a means to express her faith. It, it marked a cleansing of sin in her life. It was a benchmark. She remembers that time. And probably more for me than her, it was a humbling moment. A very humbling moment. Anybody right now like to get baptized? I know some of you are saying, man, I, I don't want to get wet in front of people. I get that. I get that. And Jesus came down from heaven, and he was crucified by evil men. And he put his hands upon the cross, and he died for us, and you don't want to get wet? Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and, and if that's the case, you're invited to come. And to express that faith by being baptized into Christ. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a church where you, were, where you were sprinkled or had water poured on you. And you understand the significance of full bodily immersion. I, I, I thank God that you had parents that took you to church. But now you can make that personal decision. You can make that out loud in front of others. Maybe you were immersed years ago, but your motive was kind of all messed up. You did it because other people were doing it or, or uh, uh, you just get your parents off your back, whatever it was. But maybe today you need to do it from a pure heart. From, from a heart that says, I, I know who Jesus is. And I want to do for, for me what the Bible says I should do. Diane, you want to come up? Thank you. Diane Cannon came up at the close of, of first service and said, I have struggled with, with whether or not what I did as a child was effective. And I said, and I've, I've struggled with this for a long time. And, and here just a little bit ago, she said, in truth, I'm not even sure that I can remember being immersed. I know that I came forward and repented, but I don't know that I even was baptized. We didn't have a baptistry there at the time, and I'm not even sure that was something that I did. And I said, boy, I, I would much rather you go home confident in your faith and confident in God's grace than to struggle day after day with not knowing for sure. So Diane? I'm going to ask you to repeat that same wonderful confession of faith. 
I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I want Him as. And I want Him as my Lord and Savior. My Lord and Savior. Amen. She's going to be immersed in here in just a moment, and uh, you can go ahead and prepare for that, Tyson. I would also like to invite you to one of my friends, uh, Jesse. If you'll come forward, um, Jesse. A little different story. He, uh, we talked this week. I think it was Wednesday night, and um, Jesse lives out uh, the truth of like Dee was talking about. Jesse is ready as a young man to say, "I need a change. I need a brand new life in Christ." And today he comes forward to give his life to Christ as. Um, a young man who says, this is, this is not about me, this is about Jesus, and in that, you can be made brand new. So I'm going to ask you to make that great confession as well. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And I accept Him. I accept Him. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Praise God for that. Uh, Jesse's going to prepare also to get baptized this time. And we have a, one other blessing. Harley, if you'll come over here now. Um, last week, um, Harley was touched and um, by the Holy Spirit. She'd been thinking about this for a while. And um, after service, we talked. And Harley made a decision last week to be baptized here today. Uh, her cousin, Brooke, is going to do that in just a moment. That's going to be beautiful to see. Uh, but last week, when Harley and I were talking with some of her family, talk about a pure heart. Um, she wasn't debating. She was just ready to do it. And not in sadness, but you could see it. Her tears just steady streamed down her face as she was thinking about Jesus being her Savior. And I just celebrate that. So, Harley, if you'd make that confession about what you believe about Jesus as well. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Praise God for that. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to stop. If there's other decisions to make, we are ready for that as well. We're going to do an invitation to him. It's going to be a little bit different than what we've done in the past. We're going to ask you to remain seated and listen to a song that the music, uh, that the team will play and sing for you. And just listen to the words, really, as you hear them. If during that time you feel drawn by the Spirit to come up and uh, uh, ask for prayer or ask to, to be baptized, this morning we're ready to do that. Um, and then after a little bit, they'll ask you to stand and sing another song that, that you do know. But we're going to use this as invitation time, so uh, uh, please come if God's calling you.